Hey everyone, welcome to 24 Point, where we talk about the tools, techniques, and trials of designing and developing software in a digital agency. I'm Jeff Rock, co-founder of Mobilux, and today I'll be talking to co-founder and CEO Garrett Ross about adapting to change. Learn how Mobilux pivoted during a turbulent year and how photography can be a powerful tool to add to your business. We'll cover that and more today on 24 Point. I'm Garrett Ross. I'm the, one of the co-founders and CEO of Mobilux. And I don't think we need, anybody that knows Mobilux knows, but for people that don't, um, how long have you been in the company? Well, uh, you and I, Jeff and I started this in 2008. Yeah, 12 years ago. So 12 years. Yeah, it's been 12, 12 years. <laughs> so we started with two. That's right. The, stayed in that state for a while and got to five or six, stayed in that state for a while. And here we are 12 years later. Yeah, um, I think it does help to give a little bit of a history lesson. Just the company, of, uh, like when we started, um, we were remote for a while and then we moved into an office. I always forget the year that that happened, but. It was 2010, I believe. And at that time, I want to say there was six of us. Yep, we moved in, office of six, corrugated box in Richmond. Um, and uh, really it was five full-time employees, one subcontractor. And now we're in a new building, which we moved to. In we bought in 2015, moved in here in 2000, very end of 2016, first month of 2017. So in all that time, 12 years, um, how, many, how many projects do you think we've done? It's funny because this year has been, I think, a year of contemplation. You kind of sit back and, and think a little bit. Um, I would, I went back and counted for like the last eight years. There's been a good 90 clients. So if I'm doing the math, we're probably about 120 clients we've done over the, over the 12 years. Um, and you have kind of this rolling, you work with 20 to 30 to 40 clients a year, but it, I, I would guess we've probably about 120 clients. I bet we shipped probably you know, 250 pieces of software. Sure. I mean, easily. Yeah. Because some of those clients we've done multiple right. apps or web platforms with, or um, sometimes a brand, sometimes they just need help with some You can graphic. take iHome. iHome was our biggest, biggest like diversing, diversifying client that we had. And we started with an app, but went to their website and then we did three more apps and then you know, help multiple parts of their company and, and work with them for a decade, over a decade. So, so yeah, we definitely have some interesting clients where we've done probably 20 products with them. Here's some weird ones we've done. So I remember one time, uh, I think we were working with Ferguson. We actually designed a keynote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I don't know how we got to that point, but we were actually, we, I don't know, we, we were asked to help them innovate and rethink what their, their new showroom should be like. And during the process of kind of imagining the mobile software mixed into their showrooms that they have for looking at, you know, for all their contractors and everything else for lighting and appliances and everything. They loved what we were doing design wise. And they had their big keynote at, I guess it was in Vegas at a big convention for their industry. And uh, their president of the company or CEO was speaking and they asked us to, 
make it look good. So we did. He did. <laughs> I think he got a standing ovation that year. He did. <laughs> I think it's one of the first innovations that industry's given in a while. So uh, I, it's funny, like we get asked, like, what do we do over the years? And I think the best, if I'm talking person to person, we're just problem solvers. I think you and I work together. A lot of people may not know this either, but, but you and I worked together for you know close to a decade before me starting Mobile Looks. And really, I think it just started back then that if we had a problem, we were just going to try and solve it. Whether it was a video problem, whether it was a flash problem, a you know training problem, a design issue, like we just like to solve challenges. And I think our clients we end up getting fell in that vein where. Hey, they had to solve interesting challenges, and a lot of them were young startup companies. And uh, I mentioned this a minute ago. We I went back and counted our last ninety clients. Two thirds of those, or sixty of those, were startups. You know, young companies. You know, three to five years or, or newer. And that just goes back to that DNA of their new problems to solve, their challenging, innovating things they're trying to do. And I think we just fit in that sweet spot of kind of being a Swiss army knife to solve multiple problems and helping get, get out the door and, and make some money and do things. And we, we do it with a team that's, it's, I mean, can, compared to a lot of agencies, I think we, we do it with a very small team with a lot of diverse talent. How do you think we got there? How, how can we produce this much work with, with the people that we have? I think it begins, I mean, honestly with you, I mean, we, we had this tendency and when we first started working together, it was, you know, for a training company for the, for the, for the government, right? There were designers, there were content writers and course creators, there were 3D modelers, there were videographers, there was interface designers, you know, programmers, and you wore all the hats. You know, they picked you up at 22, 23 years old coming in and you're like, I can do that. I can do that. I well, I was dumb that. enough to tell people that I could do anything. <laughs> right. But, but well, either way, that's like, you is. tried it. And, and I think that there was a culture that you kind of created between us where I was probably a little more analytic of, let me go think about it. And you're like, I'm just going to go do it. And I think that created in the beginning with Mobilux where you're wearing multiple hats. Cause again, our first app, you had to go figure out with no books, no, no guidance. And when you're going back to how people were, were, first attracted to working with us, it was no one knew how to do it. And so I think, again, uh, doing, learning by doing and solving things just kind of became part of the DNA because I think it began with with you from how we were creating software and approaching it. But I think probably a shared trait that we've had is, okay, we can figure it out. Yeah, and, and we do. Uh, I think it is about problem solving. It attracts a certain person that wants to solve problems, no matter what they are, or if they've seen anything like that before, which is cool. Um, so let's talk about your background a little bit since we're talking about uh, how we got going. What was your first job? So I went to a, a liberal arts school, and it's funny because when I went to liberal arts school, all of my wife's family and other you know relatives were like you'll never get a good job getting a liberal arts degree and i was actually a pre-med student and went there because of playing basketball of all things but decided to when i wanted to graduate i wanted to have some type of skills that i could go into whatever i was going to do and that what made sense was a multimedia design degree so i actually from my liberal arts school got 
education in flash design development, videography, photography, design principles, and got that this multimedia design degree. And then I got out of college and realized there was no multimedia jobs. Like I didn't know that. And and uh, so we started hunting around. My wife's from Yorktown, so we moved to Yorktown trying to figure out something. And my first job was in Norfolk for Lettuce Produce, which was a produce company, to be their designer designing water private water bottle labels. For like car dealerships and stuff? It was, yeah, so like, um, uh, what's the concert arena that's there? In, in, oh, in, the, um, yeah, I forgot um, the name. But, you know, anyways, like all the big companies, it's kind of like the thing to do from small businesses. They'd go around and they'd pick up, hey, you want your own water bottle, the branded water bottles. So I would design water bottle labels. And then I got in there and they're like, well, there's no good computer. They had a bunch of marketing needs. And so I essentially, within a month, I became their marketing person. It was doing all their newsletters, reshaped their whole technology for that company, for how they were producing things. Hated it. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, mainly because like I was, there was stuff I knew that I wanted to be doing, but I was stuck in this print world. And print was so limited to me on what we could ultimately do or what I wanted to do. I wanted to get back into the website of things, the digital trends of things. And this was early 2000s. Yeah, right? 2001, 2002. Yeah, and so I, I didn't want to be spending the time doing print I wanted to jump in the digital so I, I I knew where I wanted to go I loved the job for the opportunity um, luckily my wife did some free spray tans for somebody who got us a job where you were already working at and uh, so got in there and that was actually a multimedia job so there, we yeah, so it did exist it did exist despite your in-laws uh, objections yeah yeah it, it did exist and I didn't know that but it, it existed and we got a job there as a multimedia designer where I was Flash developer, designer, creating courseware. So that's kind of the intro of like, I guess where we started. But I think for me personally, it was, we got into the training world, you and I, I got frustrated being told what to design and develop because I didn't feel like it was right. So learning became a pretty big passion of mine. I ended up getting my master's in instructional design, which is essentially the theory of learning. And that coupled with my undergrad degree. So I did go to ODU and got my master's there that mixed with undergrad helped me kind of solidify like a theoretical base of how to approach some of these problems that relate to software as well as education as well as training. I think one of the things that happened there as well is we figured out that the tool was never going to stay the same. Right. The software was going to change. Uh, um, Flash was officially, it's officially, officially dead. Finally. And, but I mean, back then it was the new thing, the hot thing, right? And I was using Shockwave and you were using Flash and we were doing this stuff. But towards, uh, we, we worked at another place together years later. And by the time we got there, I think all that set uh, you and I up to think better, right? To, to strategize better and to think about the problem instead of worrying about the implementation. Yeah. Well, I think we also learned to fight. You know, when you go work for government agencies, we were Mac people. There were no Apple computers allowed. And there are certain ways that we like to work. You know, you want to have something you enjoy working on. So I think we learned to fight for what we want. And I, and I think because of learning to fight those and getting some wins along the way, it helped us to kind of become a little more resourceful for, again, when we started our own company of A, 
we fought so many battles to work our way. We wanted to work that we didn't want our future, you know, our employees when we started the company to have those same fights. We wanted just to enjoy working. But I think having those fights helped us prepare how to better critically think and solve problems, how to, um, you know, also go through different types of technologies and industries. Because you look at the clients that we've worked with, you know, it's automotive, it's um, restaurant space now, you have uh, retail, uh, medical, uh, insurance, like it's, it covers the gamut. And, and I think that's, again, back to those things of, we're just like to solve problems. Right. I think we actually, we were working at a pretty good place. I, I, I remember the, the CEO of the company was excited about us and what we could do and what we were doing. And eventually, I think we almost fought ourselves out of that job. It just, it, we hit a wall where we had done everything that we could do there. Um, and all of, all of that training to fight, we hit a wall where we had what we wanted. And then things and got where it stuck. It was kind of a boring, the work wasn't as exciting. But I, I think it was also, I was always training on the side. Like I taught in Virginia Beach, like software classes and, and I, that kind of opened my eyes of, hey, we should go do a business. And so we'd always talk in the evenings, like, let's go do a business. The first business plan was actually a training company. That's right. Right. And let's go get Adobe certified and Dreamweaver server certified with Macromedia. And let's go do those things and let's do a training. And that got, so that at least formed the kernel of let's do a company. And I think it became more real. Jack at, at Zeltec, we were talking about that company, we were there together. Like, I have to admit, having a CEO realize that certain people shouldn't be in his company for a period of time and actually help them, I think was, again, more of that confidence boost of we can go do this and we can go compete. And I think one of the things that you and I wanted to prove to ourselves was everything we were working on, nobody at home got to see it. You know, when you work for the government and it's going to like, you know, USDA or national, you know, defense intelligence agencies and things like that. Nobody gets to see what you're doing. And so I think commercially, we wanted to see if we could exist and design and develop things and build things that the family would see a target, you know, or whatever it might be. Yeah. So you moved, when we started Mobilux, you, you moved from a lot of design and a lot of development to a whole new world of running the business, right? And, and that shift had to be pretty jarring, right? A lot of unknowns, a lot of new things, right? Letting go of doing some of, of the old things. Yeah. I, I think that there's, I believe one of the key things in being happy in life is you have to create. And when I took on the role of CEO or, or business developer or those types of things, I think initially I felt like I was not going to be able to create anymore. And what I wanted to do when starting a company was like find everybody, somebody that was always better than me. So when we had you and we've had Eddie, we had different things which were, you know, design roles, I couldn't compete. I wasn't going to go do something when we got somebody we're that much better doing it. And so I think that was satisfying but it also put this weird pressure on me of, well, I can't bring somebody in, not have anything for them to do. So we have to go get work. We have to figure out how to get some of this stuff. And then I end up kind of taking this new challenge where, well, I'm still creative. I still consider myself a designer. How could I create a business proposal different? 
you know, and I, and Tom Peters is one of like the, the big influencers in the beginning of this for me, where he was, if you can simplify as much as you can during the process, you should, you know, have the designer at the, the boardroom. And, and that kind of became the mentality of, I, I still felt like I was a designer. I ran the company still feeling like I was designing something. And even though it might be a, a Word document where you might have a 20 page contract, but I got down to one page, yeah. <laughs> right? For me, that felt good because I was still simplifying and creating something that felt personal and allowed me to, to it scratch that creative itch. And I think being a creative company that we are, that was important to me. And because and, I didn't want to come in and be like over someone's shoulder saying, you should design that way. You should do this, you know, because that's not fair either. Yeah, that's uh, it's a tough role to transition into. But there's there's another side, I think, and, and everybody has something else in their life than just work, right? And you've always had photography. It's another thing that we um, have always had in common, albeit it's it's very different yeah. styles and and from the equipment to the style. But photography has been a pretty big part of your life for a long time. So why don't you talk about a little bit about how you how did you get interested in photography and then and then how is it applicable to your life today? Well, I remember being in school, like having a professor that was like, you need to do something that makes you unique in design. And in the design world, that means, well, you better be a really good illustrator or figure out a way to create content that you can design with. And for me, that stuck with me, even though I, I, I wanted to do photography, I felt like it was too expensive for me to jump in and do. So I never bought the expensive camera. I never bought the things that I wanted to do. And I just sat on it for a long time. And I would sit there and be like, I'm designing this interface for this client. It'd be better if I actually went and took my own picture for it. So it was like like this piece of me that I think was just kind of dormant. And I would always analyze like just what good design is from rule of thirds and, and layout and all that stuff and what I wanted to do. But two things happened. One was my wife got pregnant, right? And baby's on the way. And I wanted to be able to document my kid's life. And I grew up in a big family. I literally have two pictures of me from the time I was born to the time I was 15 uh, that, that was taken. So I didn't want that to happen for my kid. And I wanted it to be good pictures that he would be proud of showing, not just normal snapshots. Second thing was you got married. And my wife and I were talking about the idea of let's get a good camera. So I bought a better camera to start learning on. And then I think you saw that and you were getting ready to get married. And you're like, I don't want to spend a bunch of money on a photographer. No. <laughs> I felt like scared to do it. But when I was researching and studying, I've always believed like if you want to get good at something, you do it for somebody else. It's going to force you to do something different. And so I just made a deal. You said, you rent the equipment. I'll shoot your wedding. And that was right in 2008, right? Yeah. We actually started Mobilux. I actually started a photography business because at the same time I wanted to learn. And I, I did it for another reason too. I wanted, me, I wanted to be able to try out business things in the photography world that I would be able to apply to mobile ones, as well as get good at taking pictures. So my first client, I actually, well, Ellen picked up another client for me that same week we did your wedding. So we rented that equipment. She had another sunrise wedding and that was my first wedding. And I, and I don't know why I jumped into weddings. 
Um, I think it was because I, I just met somebody and he's like, you can make money doing weddings. And I like shooting people. And I was like, well, I'll try it. And if I like it, I'll do it. And I was scared to death. And I remember being up all night, like just freaking out, started reading the Scott Kelly books of how to shoot stuff and shoot, showing up and half the shots don't work and you get whatever. And, and then two days later, I had your wedding. So I got to try on somebody else before I got you. But then I shot your wedding and it was kind of like this weird thing. Like if you shoot weddings and you're a photographer, it's the only real place that you can go to and you have free license to shoot somebody. Yeah. Like every other type of event in life, you're the awkward photographer that's pausing everybody. You know, whether you're shooting a scenery shot or whether you're shooting your own kid or whatever, it's, there's always this awkward moment. At a wedding, you can shoot a thousand shots, 500 shots, 4,000 shots. And you're liked. Like you're not the bad guy anymore. You're, you're actually the hero for that event. And so there's like this weird innate pressure. And I found like, all right, like, I believe like, again, like you want to get good at something. A lot of people think it's, well, you got to be talented and you got to know the, the skills to do it. Part of getting good at stuff is knowing what tools you want and figuring out how to get them. And I borrowed <laughs> from a guy. I met a guy at a store and he luckily had $90,000 worth of gear. He lent to me. I don't, I mean, kind of one of those, those hidden serendipitous guys that just pop in your life. And then I was able to build a kit. And it was able to shoot, and I shot over the over the first. I guess it did for eight years. Yeah. I shot about fifty weddings. Fifty weddings. Yeah, and that first year, two thousand eight, I shot twenty two weddings, all on weekends, all in the evenings, and um, I think we shot. When my wife added up, there's like ninety thousand pictures that were taken that year. Wow. So, for better or for worse, uh, and so I, now it's like when the other kids came, it was now I can pull back on that because I feel like I've gotten good enough for what I, how I want to shoot. But and plus weddings are grueling. I think the timeline of life of, of a lot of wedding photographers is like three to five years. Yeah. It, 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 it's just grueling. It looked tough. <laughs> I've never done it. <laughs> well, when you're slugging around. But the, the, it's the thinking process. Like how do you solve in the moment? You got one moment to get that ring shot. You got one moment to get that kiss. You got one moment to in a dark chapel with someone walking in the aisle, down the aisle to get the right shot. And so I think, it, again, that translates back to like the business stuff where it went hand to hand. You had one chance to impress that person. You know, we flew up without knowing anybody at Tumblr and we had to impress them. You know, we flew up and met with iHome and had to impress them. And, that, and I think getting used to being nervous, getting used to, to like not stressing for a long period of time, the decision you need to make, but making a decision and going and iterating and evolving. I think photography did that a lot for me because that was just, you gotta go. Well, now you're shooting basketball games, which is a whole nother well, realm a, of photography, right? I have a kid who plays, you know, and, and, and I like to coach. And so I, you're trying to figure out now, like you gotta be the marketer. You know, nowadays if kids are gonna play beyond high school, they got to get seen. So uh, I, I think it came full circle for me. And, and you know, I've talked about this before, but um, I believe I got into photography because it helped me adopt the girls I ended up getting. And when we came to like marketing my family, it was the pictures I'd taken for five years of my son and my wife and how we lived. And you basically make a magazine to hand a potential parents to pick you. 
So like for me, again, a great picture stands out and both, you know, you know, the girls we ended up getting were, were picked because they felt like they were connected to my son, you know, which were pictures that I took. So I, I do think that there's, it's about connecting and, and hang on to it and going through, but yeah, still shooting and trying to do videos and trying to do whatever, because that's, I think that creative itch, there's always that creative itch we got to scratch. Yeah, photography is a great way to be creative even when you feel like you can't be or you're not being, right? Um, just even wandering around a street that you know really well, you, you'll find something on that street that's an interesting photograph when you play with it later. Yeah, the, the, the long-term goal of mine, and I started on it, but I just haven't had the time and resources to make it work because I grew up in Yellowstone. My dad was a park ranger. I wanted to go back and photograph my favorite places growing up because growing up in Yellowstone is different than being a visitor in Yellowstone. And there's those secret hideaway spots that are personal. And I wanted to be able to capture my own way how I felt. So I started doing that um, and, and got some that I think are, are good, but it's, but it's, again, it's, it's your personality that comes out. It's your way of showing how you look at life. Yeah. And, and that DNA of photography is well instilled in Mobilux. Uh, we, we even started a series here, a photographer series, where we've had a dozen just great photographers come in and, and lecture in our theater and, and, and show, do everything from show people what they shoot and, and tell them why they shoot it, uh, as, as well as how they shoot in some cases and what equipment they use. And so it's, a, it's become a part of the company because you were, uh, you were really living well, and, and I, we've lived with, in the startup world too. So you look at several startups that we were working with, they have, they were taking shots that didn't represent their companies, you know? So when you're building their website and you're helping them build their brand, it was very frustrating to help them not feel authentic. And so it was easy for me with a kit and way to go and be like, Hey, let me just take your pictures. You know, I, I like, I remember the airlines company, we, you know, rise that we helped build out of Dallas. I flew down there and I was taking airline pictures, you know, yeah. and, and headshots and helping them. And so for me, the gratifying moment is to turn around and see them use that on their LinkedIn profiles and their business profiles, but as well as the site that we build, because it was another way to differentiate us. Like there was no one else going to take that picture, like the way that we would take that picture. And so I, I think it kept us in that vein. And then we hired a photographer for, I mean, Ethan worked with us for what, five years? Yeah. Yeah. Ethan is a, is a key thing. So he took it to a new level where we were, he went out and shot in, um, look, St. Croix, yeah. was it? And, and for a, for a charity we were working with at, at that time. And again, it just elevates the work and, and the project. And it adds so much when, when you're bringing that art to the software, right? That can just be cold and quite frankly, boring without really great photography. Um, and it's become part of the branding package here now yeah. is that we will make sure that that you're accurately represented with photography before you leave. Well, it feels good to know that we can provide a side offering in a way that will help improve brand. And and sometimes it's just, you know, especially in the startup world, it's, it's they don't have resources like that to make that, that work well. And so... Uh, I also feel like, though, especially with this COVID year, right, 
this is the year of video, like real video and, and, and quality video and how people are starting to do it and where it's starting to come and head. So I think you're seeing where there's a big push with the digital SLR world, you know, in the mid 2000s to late 2010 type thing. Now you're seeing this video push really start to take hold. And so I think people are just going to get better and better at telling their stories. And that's video and that's photography. So let's talk about this year a little bit. Um, I don't need to tell anybody it's been a strange year, right? It's been strange for people at home. It's been strange going out into the world. Um, we're, we're in a building right now that we took a lot of pride in putting together so that people could come here and work. Um, and now all we use it for is to record podcast episodes. And it's frustrating, right? I think a lot of people talk about what it's been like for families and at school and for sports. Uh, but I wanted to get your perspective on what it's been like for a small business. It's, um, there was an analogy that I read a few years back. I think it came from Malcolm Gladwell. And he was talking about what is better in life to be? You want to be the taxi driver or you want to be the C-suite guy who works in a nice corner office in a high-rise, you know, big business building in New York, right? And you're living in New York, one of the toughest cities in the world. Who's safer in life? And a lot of times with that first reaction is people go, well, the guy with a nice corner office. The reality of it is, is that guy in the corner office can't control his destiny. The taxi driver knows how to fight every single day because he's got to get that money and it can be from a variety of different ways that he gets it. Very resilient, very tough. I feel like 2020 was that year for us. You know, we've had to go back to fighting and being very like, it, like resourceful. How do you get lean? How do you find ways to, to, to hunt and get new work? One of the best ways to look at that this year, when we look at our top 10 clients revenue wise, nine of those top 10 clients were startups. You look at the two previous years, it was two to three startups, right? And so usually you would think going into business, and we're all told this, right? Get big businesses so you can grow and they have the better money and you can count on them. COVID was year you couldn't count on the big businesses. You know, we lost Capital One, you know, had to, shut, had to stop working with us. Dominion had to stop working with us. Colonial Williamsburg had to stop working with us. Like these are all big established businesses and they are the ones that cut out the small companies during COVID. So 2020 was hard because it made us get back to like being lean. But I think we're more prepared than a lot of the companies because like we talked earlier today, we've worked a lot of startups Yeah, and the startup world is, is very innovative. And I think when you have things that are tough, you have to stop and start getting really like, innovative again. Like, how are you going to solve these problems? Um, and you make mistakes. You have some successes during that, that path. And I think you and I came in, you know, it was March and we knew something was coming up and it was like, let's not be on the wrong side of history. Yeah. I think we were earlier than a lot of people, but we realized it pretty quick that it was not going to be a, a one, two, three month situation. 
Yeah. Well, we were also fortunate enough that we made a decision back in the very beginning of every person who's going to work here is going to have a laptop. Right. And so they were able to work remote. And so we were able to kind of handle that adjustment better than a lot of other companies. We had a lot of the software tools in place already using Slack and, and uh, a lot of the Google suite stuff to be able to do things. So I think we we're prepared for certain things. I think when we started looking at like what's the money going to look like, the mantra really quick among, this, among small business was, let's survive. If you can break even, you're going to survive this year. And if you can break even, pat yourself on the back because you did a well of a job to break even. And so I think it kind of made a shift perspective, start getting resourceful, and, and how do you then build back up? And, and I think that was kind of a key play for us. So what do you, what does it look like coming out of this? And when is, coming out of it is, is tough to say, right? Like is t- coming out of it this time next year? I mean, I'm starting to believe personally that we're not really going to come out of this in the sense that you're going to walk into the grocery store without a mask on until school starts in 2021. Now, I could be wrong. I've been wrong before. But when this does finally settle down and we're able to return to what we refer to as normalcy, what's going to be different about MobileX? What, what went well? What, what worked? What, what are we going to change because of it? So I think in some ways it will never go back. And I, and I say that because I think there's a couple of key things that a lot of people have realized. And that is, it is okay to be human, right? And, and like in the best case example of that is we've all had the, the video chats, FaceTime chats with a client or a friend, someone else. And there's this family noise going on. And in the past, you'd be scared and ashamed and like want to hush everything. Nowadays, it's, yeah, I got my family too. I get it. Like we're all in the same boat. And so I think that's broken down this wall of almost like make-believing of what the perfect world needs to be in the business and home and, and business were two different things. Now it's, we're human. And, and what I've liked about that is, you know, back in March, April, we, we got connected up with Kimball Musk, right? Elon Musk's brother. And it was one of those things where, I kind of had to like stop for a second because here's this very innovative thinker in our world, solving lots of problems in, in the different industries he's been a part of. And I'm literally having a face-to-face talk with him due to the technology and it being completely natural. He's in his house. I'm in my house. And so that type of openness that you have business-wise to create a connection, even though you don't look each other in the eyes because you can't, but you're still looking face to face and you have that connection. So I think that has affected business and it's not going to change. I think what's going to happen is you're going to start getting businesses where even when we do start coming back, you almost will have like the phone booth. It's like the video booth you're going to have to go to in your office so that you can have that same type of connectedness. Cause right now it's easy for a group of five, 10 people, 30 people even to get up. They can take front and center when they need to take front and center. They can share their screen when they get, want to get front and center and need to share their screen. And that kind of barrier being gone, that closeness, I think is really, really helpful. So that's kind of one thing. I think just from a business perspective, talking to people, communicating with people is different. I'm glad. Uh, It also speeds up the timeline. Like in the past, it used to be, well, I'll fly up there and let me meet and we'll go out for dinner, right? And 
And you do the whole wine and dine treat and, and build relationships that way, which again, I believe is important, but at the same time, you can bypass a lot of that. And so it was, again, we've never gotten, we haven't gotten to Colorado and we've been working with, you know, Kimmel Musk and his company for quite a while. And it's all still feels very personal. And so I, I think those, those are key things that will, will continue to evolve from a business. I think there's, there's the other side of operating and, um, I almost made a huge mistake at the beginning of this year. Like when we were going through and starting to make cuts, right? Of, you know, don't need janitorial services, don't need food, don't need different things. How do you get as lean as you can? And I think that's a good practice to do. And it made us, I think a lot of us in this business world do that. But in the process of cutting, I decided to cut our kind of our financial like advisor team. Like we had learned a lot from them. I felt like we had a good model in place. Do we really need, do I need to keep spending that money for them? You know, and I, that's kind of where we were in this mode. And as a decision maker, I kind of was like, no, luckily we have an advisor who's like, you're an idiot. <laughs> right. And right away we got him back and we figured out a way to keep working together. That decision for 2020 was one of the, the most critical decisions that we made because when it came to being aware of the governmental government programs, we could get money from the PPP stuff to the state money to um, getting things in a good way for the banks to be able to work with and all those little ins and outs, as well as a forecasting model that you really could rely on. Yeah. Right. That I think has changed Mobilux and how well we've gotten that with outside partners helping us and, and being able to do different things that, that you know the ballast guys and those companies have done that I think has just been really critical and I wish we'd have been able to do this five years ago right but going through it this year it, what would have been a bad thing ended up becoming like so invaluable and has made it so as a, as a company we're so much in a better place going forward um, just based off of that yeah 2020 was ironically supposed to be our, our big growth year. We'd yeah. done all this modeling, we'd been working with Ballast and everything was heading in the right direction. We had clients that were ready to double work and new ones that were showing up and then it all crashed and it became a story about getting scrappy and surviving. And yeah, um, we did everything that you could do, right? And we we were able to hang on, we, no one got laid off, you know, we found new clients to replace the ones that were leaving. And I think that we're starting to form relationships right now that are going to hopefully make 2021 a better year. But it was, yeah, it was, it scary. was definitely some scary. It was a scary year. Like anxiety was high for everybody. The sensitivity, how to communicate with everybody's high and you can't see people. So you don't... You think you know how people are really doing, but you don't really know. So like in some ways where we're talking a minute ago about the business world being more personal, your own company became more separated. Yeah. Right. And you know, that was, that's, that was a barrier. It still is kind of like, how do we mitigate that going forward and how do you handle those in good and bad ways? Yeah. I wonder how workplaces are going to function. Um, you know, are, are we really going to, filled back out to capacity again in, in a space or maybe part of it becomes daycare. Like I, I really, that point is true that we, 
people's lives became more transparent, right? Yeah. And you got to see a side of them that you maybe it was hidden from you, but it's important. I think we're going to see the influx of cities like Richmond. Uh, you know, you get out of the big ones like LA and San Francisco, New York, and you're going to see a lot of these bigger companies start to become more remote. And so I think that will do interesting things for the economy in Richmond. Um, I think it'll be interesting for us to see kind of how that fits for us in that picture. But I, I do feel like there's going to be a little bit more of a home life work balance where people maybe work home two to three days a week, come to the office one to two days a week or somewhere in that mix, depending on their role or just work more remote and have the ability to check in when they need to. So. We're in that weird mix. I think there's part of our team that would love to be together every day, and there's another part of the team that loves not coming together every day. And I think as companies, you have to now adapt to support that. And uh, especially in our world for software, where like it's competitive, you know, really good developers, really good designers um, are hard to like come by, and you want to keep them, and you want to grow them, and you want to have them be part of your family, you want to stay, so. You, so companies like us, where we can't throw as much money as some of the bigger companies can, we got to figure out ways that help them want to be here, you know, always. Yeah, and, and we've always come up with, you know, what we could do to make people more comfortable. And I think ultimately MobileX is what it is because we've created an environment where you could work on multiple challenges right? Multifaceted challenges. Um, because a lot of enterprise companies, it's, it's you, maybe you work on one product for 18 months and maybe it never ships. At MobileX, it's going to ship and it's, it's got to be good and it's got to be done quick. So it is a company that's a lot like a proving ground, yeah. right? You, you, you go in kind of a rough shape and you come out you know, like a rock tumbler, <laughs> uh, shinier and tougher than when you went in. And people love that. I mean, people that really are creative and really love problem solving love that. So. Well, uh, you know, we talked about starting the company back in 2008. We still have two of, two of that first group, you know, Jeremy and Jason are, are still here, right? And so I think to have a, a company where you have that initial group having core people still be here. And we have people who stay here for five, seven, eight, nine years. And that's being a small company. That's something that, that I think you know, I'm really proud of because it, it means that we're still doing something well and people want to be here when they do have other opportunities to go other places. So, so any final thoughts on 2020, like kind of as a wrap up, um, um, I think the one thing that we did this year that kind of took place that I'm grateful for and you're starting to see it in the, the video series and stuff is like we got help. You and I got help, you know, bringing up four directors and, you know, having the, that type of leadership within the company. It's something that I think you and I have wanted to do for a long time and it's never been the right time. We've tried it different ways in the past and never really has gone well. It went well this year. And I think, you know, with, with Shannon and Jeremy and Rob and Chris really stepping up to do different parts and, and start creating more areas of value in, in Mobilux, I'm, I'm almost more excited now seeing this new form of Mobilux go forward because we have really talented people 
enable to do even more things and, and hopefully we'll just get more um, ability to do some, some of those things that we've been wanting to do for a long time. So uh, I feel like we've been pruned down as a company and you get that good pruning where now we're ready to, to flourish and grow and, and in a better, healthier way. So, so uh, even in a tough year, what do you think's one of the most successful things that's happened this year? Like, like we talked about earlier, I think being innovative and as a company, we started getting more like, how do we do some new things? And, and I think, again, that's part of our DNA of whether it's making a product for ourselves, trying to create new things. And that new thing for us this year is actually this, you know, the, the, the 24 point series and starting to do the, this type of storytelling. So I think where this goes, where this heads, how we get better at telling stories for, from ourselves as a company, with clients and partners that we have, I'm, I'm excited to see how this evolves, how we get better at, at connecting and doing things in this kind of evolving space. All right. Well, thanks. Enjoyed it. Thank you. This has been 24 Point, a Mobilux podcast. If there's a topic you'd like to hear us cover in a future episode, email us at comments at mobilux.com. And if you'd like to hear about future episodes, subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts or sign up for our newsletter at mobilux.com. Thanks for listening.